0: Starting to get excited, our Stand Firm Conference is now 32 days away, 32 days. So after this Sunday, you know, like NASA does, you get down to T-minus, we're in T-minus mode, T-minus mode, and the final preparations are all underway, thank God, uh, along with all the preparations come a lot of the logistics. Logistics. And we're trying to take care of as much as we can so that we can make this transition very uh, very comfortably. Um, I'm anticipating that it's probably going to get a little bit more crazier as uh, the closer we get to Friday, February 9th. But I am excited. And I'm excited about the conference. Um, not for the sake of having a conference. I think I've made that point. I hope you believe that point. It's not about... Having a conference for the sake of having a conference. I'm excited because I believe that God's going to do something. And I am believing God to do something. What am I believing God to do? I'm believing God that He will shake us, that God will move us, that God is going to do something with this that is going to be permanent in our lives afterwards. And all of us, there's no doubt about us that all of us, all of us can use a genuine, uh, spontaneous move of God. So there's no doubt about that. So we want to see what God is going to do. We, as a church, desperately need a move of God. And our faith in Christ, our faith in Christ has to be much more defined than just coming to church on a Sunday. It really does. What is God going to do in our lives? What is God going to do for us individually? I mentioned last week that it's up until the conference every Sunday, every Tuesday night, every Wednesday night is going to be a different message or a different theme related to the conference, right? What's the theme of the conference? Stand firm, stand strong, stand firm in the faith. And so consequently, we're going to be Talking along those things to get us to stand firm. You know, E.M. Bounds, a great man, probably one of the greatest men to write about prayer, said this. He said, you know, the church is looking for better methods. Like, the church is always looking for better methods. But God is looking for better men. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for better men, and may I add, better women. I need, I personally need a greater boldness for God. I don't know how you feel about it, but I know I feel about it. And I want, I desire, and I need a greater boldness for God. But that boldness can't come from myself. It can't come from my personality. It can't come from whatever I'm reading. If I'm going to have that kind of boldness, that boldness needs to come from the person of the Holy Spirit. And in order to be a better man, as Ian Bound states, right, um, we need that Holy Ghost boldness. We need that Holy Ghost boldness. We need that Holy Spirit boldness. And it comes in relation to prayer. So to do so, I want to do a, a flyover, if you would. A, a high-level overview of, of Acts chapter 4. And we're really going to focus particularly on one verse. It's going to be Acts 4:13. And it's amazing because I keep coming back to this verse constantly in my life. I never knew how much Acts chapter four would play such a pivotal role in, in my own spiritual development, primarily because what we see in Acts chapter four is not what we see in the church today. So there's kind of a disconnect between the two, right? And I want to explore that because Acts chapter 4, in particular, Acts chapter 4, 13, all deal with Holy Spirit boldness. So I've entitled this this message today, Praying for Holy Spirit Boldness. I'm praying that as the conference approaches, that we ourselves would find ourselves Praying and asking God for more. And you say, more of what? And I say, for more of Him. For more of His grace. For more of His power in our life. How will we stand firm in the faith if we lack conviction and if we lack power? That power has to come from somewhere. And instead of somewhere, it comes from someone the holy spirit. So how did the disciples deal with these issues? That's we want to look back. We want to look back to see how they dealt with these issues. So look with me, we're going to begin our text is going to begin in Acts chapter 4:13. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4:13. Um and that's where we're going to be begin our text this morning. And we're really going to look at a few things. We're going to look at Holy first holy, uh, holy Spirit boldness is born in prayer. Acts 4.13 Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned, ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And I want to call your attention right at the beginning to this word boldness. This word boldness. Where did they observe the boldness of Peter and John after the arrest? Now, let me give you a little bit of background what's going on. In our scripture reading, we did Acts chapter 3. And if you remember anything from the scripture reading, what happened? Peter and John went up to the temple to pray as was their custom And outside the temple by the gate called Beautiful, there was a lame man from birth. He was a crippled man from birth. And he was there, he would sit out there day in and day out, and he would beg, as the only job a lame person could have in first century Palestine. And he would ask for money. Peter and John come walking by and says, hey, you guys got any spare change, Right? And Peter looks down at him and he says, Silver and gold I have not, but what I give you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, arise and walk. And the Bible says he took him by the hand, pulled him up. The man leaped up. He leapt. Right? Now, it's very interesting because if you're crippled from birth, one thing that is definite is your legs have no muscular structure it's atrophy it's like jelly i remember when my grandfather was dying and he had been bedridden for several for several years and i was about 19 years old and i'd go to help my grandmother and and they had to change the sheets and i would come and, and pick up my grandfather right i would pick him up so that they could take the sheets off the bed and clean the sheets and everything and one of the things I'll never forget is his muscles had atrophied by that point so, so badly that they fell off the bones. So, you know, if, you, if, you were to, if this were his leg, it would just be like a ball here and then just bone, right? Complete atrophy. Well, in this case, this, this is what this crippled man was. He was atrophied. But with the touch of God, the healing touch of God, Peter's able to take him by the hand. The power of God surges into him, and he is restored. He is 100% healed. Right? He's healed. The people are are, are amazed. Oh my goodness, look at what happened. We saw in Acts chapter 3 in our scripture reading, Peter says to people, why are you standing around looking so amazed? This is done by Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus the guy you betrayed, remember Jesus, the one that Pilate said, "Hey, what should I do with this man? I find no guilt in him." And you yell, "Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him!" Remember that guy? Well, he's his power raised him from the dead, right? And Peter preaches to these people a very bold, 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 bold message. As a matter of fact, that word boldness there, the word actually means. Leaving a witness, leaving a witness that something deserves to be remembered. Something that deserves to be remembered. So as we start out and we start thinking about praying Holy Spirit boldness, we want a boldness that is going to typify, that is going to exemplify, that is going to call out Christ, that is going to call out God, but something that deserves to be remembered. Now, if you go back in Acts chapter 4, if you look at verses 8, just turn back a little bit there in Acts chapter 4, here's Peter, what happens to Peter and John, right? Word goes back to the ruling authorities. Hey, these guys are healing in the name of Jesus. And they go, oh, we got a solution for that. Arrest them. So they arrest them. They bring them in. They interrogate them. And in Acts chapter 4, at the beginning... If you look at verse 8, this is Peter now testifying before the religious leaders. Right? Notice verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of a good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ the uh, of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you today whole. This is the stone which was set at naught, and you the builders which, became, uh, which is to become the corner. And he goes on to say, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among what men, Whereby we must be saved. And notice the boldness came as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a confidence, it wasn't an arrogance that just Peter had in and of himself. Verse 8 makes it very clear. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, one of the things you'll see in the book of Acts that's very interesting. In the book of Acts, whenever you will see filled with the Holy Spirit, it will usually follow that it says they spoke the word with boldness or a narrative of them speaking with some form of boldness. So what's the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Running around in a circle, jumping up and down and shouting hallelujah? No, one of the most obvious results of being filled with the Holy Spirit is what? Is the ability to speak the word of God with all boldness. It's remarkable speech. It's speech that comes from God as a result of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And before, listen, just to give you an idea of how different this was, before Pentecost, before Pentecost, Peter was afraid of a servant girl. Right? The night of Jesus' betrayal, right he going in and out of the garden out there hey you must be with him i don't know the man hey you you your accent gives you away you're a galilean i don't know the man you know oh i saw you with him out there i don't know and he starts blaspheming he starts cursing he was afraid of a little girl afraid of a little girl but after pentecost peter takes on the very same sanhedrin The very same ones who inflicted the carnage upon Jesus Christ and boldly before them declares, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Why did that happen? Well, go back to Acts chapter 2 real quick in acts chapter 2 toward the end of the, ser- uh, the sermon on pentecost acts 242 talks about those that were gathered there at pentecost the holy spirit came the church is born mighty miracle is occurring right look at verse 42 and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine And fellowship, and in the breaking of bread, and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. They had all things in common. Where did that boldness come from? That Holy Spirit boldness came from prayer that Holy Spirit boldness came from the power of God when they were in unity and they were in fellowship with Him. And the most amazing thing that I look at, here is a man who goes from being afraid of a servant girl to all of a sudden standing in front of the religious leaders and could declare with absolute confidence in who Jesus Christ was. And let me tell you something, for Peter it's not going to end there. Peter's boldness will go up to another level where he will defy Caesar himself that it will cost him his life. And upon learning of his sentencing of being crucified, it is this Peter with Holy Spirit boldness that said, I am not worthy to die the same death that my Lord died. I beseech thee, crucify me upside down of which the Romans were too glad to oblige. Where did this boldness come from? It comes from prayer. It comes from seeking God. It comes from seeking Christ. It comes from a deep desire in the soul that if you desire God, if you desire Christ, He will come. He will meet you. He will grant you that strength. And He will give you a boldness that is not of yourself, but is of Him. You know, we always talk about how the proof of desire is in the pursuit. If you really want something, you're going to pursue it. You're going to pursue it aggressively. Well, Holy Spirit boldness is born in the heart of pursuit. The more you pursue God, the more you pursue Christ, the more you pursue the Holy Spirit. That's where the Holy Spirit boldness is going to come. I I showed you in Acts 2.42 where it says they all came together and they came together for a few things, right? They came together steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were one. They were one in accord. One in belief. They came together In fellowship, koinonia, the ability to share with one another, to be with one another, they desired one another. Hey, here's a novelty, they loved one another. They came together for the breaking of bread, and that means both the meals, but both the love meals that they had together as a church, as a singular body. And most important, they came together in prayer they came together in prayer you know the big disconnect i think in most christian churches today the big disconnect is prayer no doubt about it no doubt about it you know i think many people are inconsistent in doctrine they're inconsistent in fellowship and breaking bread but there's a lot of inconsistency in prayer and then when challenges come into people's lives, and they're overwhelmed by the challenges, right? And they feel like, well, I prayed, but it doesn't, you know, it didn't do anything. Well, a lot of times it's because the prayer life itself is disconnected. It's disconnected. Today, all of these, all of these disciplines that they talked about are seen as optional, And it's evident in almost every single church that you go to. But Acts 2.42 tells us that the early church was powerful because they held to these disciplines. They held together to these disciplines. And as a result, ordinary people were able to do extraordinary things. Ordinary people. Now, did that just happen in, 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 in the book of Acts? No. It's happened all throughout church history. Let me tell you a quick story about one such person it happened to. person's name is Jeremiah Lampfear. And this is a great example of what happens when God gets hold of an ordinary person. Jeremiah Lanthier lived in New York City. Actually lived in Brooklyn. He's buried in Brooklyn, not far from where my, my dad's church was. Um, he lived eighteen fifty seven. Um, he lived during the eighteen fifties. Okay, he's actually I don't know Al if you know what this means, but he was buried in Greenwood Cemetery. You know Greenwood Cemetery, right? Yeah. He's buried in, in right there in Brooklyn there. Greenwood Cemetery, But Jeremiah Lanphier, what, what puts him on the history page is this. Jeremiah Lanphier is responsible for what they called the Third Great Awakening in America. Now, I'm going I'm to read to you from a, 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 a magazine article, just excerpts from a magazine article to tell the story of Jeremiah Lanphier a little bit more succinctly than, than perhaps I could do it. But this is the case of an ordinary man that God used to do extraordinary things. It was exactly noon on Wednesday, September 23rd, 1857 at the Old North Dutch Reformed Church on Fulton Street in Lower Manhattan. For three months, Jeremiah Lamphere had gone into every business shop, boarding house, inviting people to pray on that particular Wednesday. But as he entered the church at noon on September 23rd, no one was there. Lanfear had decided upon a prayer meeting because nothing else he tried was bringing people into the church. He was discouraged, but prayer was his solace. If it encouraged his heart to fellowship with God, maybe others would feel similarly. It was 1210, and still no one had come. It was 1220 and still no one had come. Jeremiah Lanfear, with no theological training but a deep commitment to the will of God, sat down in an empty church building and began praying. Finally, at 12.30 p.m., five men walked in to pray. There was no fanaticism, no hysteria. From a human perspective, nothing extraordinary was happening, and certainly there was no idea that this would begin one of the greatest revival movements in American history. It was just six men quietly, earnestly seeking their God on behalf of their city. The next Wednesday, 14 people attended. Within six months, there were anywhere from 10,000 to 30,000 men and women out of a population of 800,000 praying at 20 different prayer meetings daily around New York City. For a period of time, it is estimated that 10,000 people were being converted in New York City a week. Within 18 months of the first prayer meeting at the Old North Dutch Reformed Church, it is estimated that 1 million souls across the United States had come to Christ. Jeremiah Lanphier was not a man of exceptional talent. He looks very much like the unsung, maybe unappreciated church workers in every church. But he believed in a big God. Right? One man, I'm reminded of the words of George Mueller who said this. He said, Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. And the question we got to ask ourselves today is, does God still move today? Does he still move this way today? E.M. Bounds said, nothing distinguishes the children of God so clearly and strongly as prayer. It is the one infallible mark and test of being a Christian. Christian people are prayerful. Worldly-minded are prayerless. Listen, I believe in the same big God. And that Word of God is true when it tells me, when the Lord Jesus Christ tells me in Matthew chapter 7, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now, if we look at this text and we look at it contextually, Right? we immediately realize that the Lord Jesus is not merely speaking of a prayer in a generic sense. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Instead, He is speaking of prayer in a continual sense. This is about persistent prayer. That's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 9. The words, ask, seek, knock. Are all in the Greek present imperative text. So, what it, what it actually means is this the, the, in the, the present tense indicates, in the Greek language, a continual action. It's something that's ongoing. That's what it means. It's something that's ongoing, right? Something that continually happens. So, what Jesus is really saying is keep asking, <coughs> keep seeking. Keep knocking and the door is going to be open to you. We have to be men and women of persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. It's not one and done. I've heard people say so many times, oh, I prayed prayed about this, nothing happened. I prayed about that, nothing happened. We're to pray and continually be in a state of prayer. We're to keep knocking. We're to keep asking. We're to keep seeking. That's what the Lord desires of us. And let me tell you something, I believe the Word of God is absolutely true when the Word of God says in Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 37, 4, when He said, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desire of thine heart. Hebrews 11.6, when the Word of God says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But if you infrequently seek Him, if you don't seek Him at all, what's the reward? There is no reward. we got to come to the Lord. we got to press in. We got to lay hold. We got to say, No, I'm not letting go. What's the option? There is no option to let go. Let go of Jesus, let go of God. What do you have? You have nothing. You have nothing. We were having a good conversation before service this morning, Michael Gray and Ricky and Janet and myself, and we were just shooting the breeze and. We were just talking about that particular issue. About what do we need to do? How we need to hold on to Christ. How that if we let go of Christ, oh my goodness, we'd be the most miserable, the most pitied people that there would be. We know this. And I worry sometimes, I say, you know, is it possible that in this modern era, with all of these distractions, with everything that we have going around, is it possible in this modern era that we have forgotten what it is to latch on to something and not let go? Are we so distracted by all that the world has to offer us, that even the simplest things of faith we find hard to be able to believe? Maybe things aren't happening because like Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please them. Maybe we are coming to God and there is no faith. And maybe what we need to do is come back and say, yes, you are God. You are the sovereign Lord. You are the glorious God. And yes, Lord, I will follow. Even if it means my own very life. Listen, we know this. We know that Peter and John were forever changed, forever changed by their encounter with the Holy Spirit on that Pentecost day. And we know that they were changed by a church that believed in God and in His Word and went forward in that belief. And as a result, they changed the world for Christ. They changed the world for Christ. What was the result of the Holy Spirit's boldness? Like Jeremiah and There's a few interesting words here I want to take you through in Acts 4.13. Like Jeremiah and Peter and John were untrained, uneducated men. Look, at Acts, well look again in Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned, ignorant men, they marveled. I love that. They were unlearned, they were ignorant men. I say I don't stand alone on that great day, right? I'll be when they call who are the unlearned and unignorant, I say, okay, that's that's the line I gotta go on. I gotta get on that unlearned, ignorant line there. Notice what it is. Notice that the Holy Spirit puts this in the text for a very specific reason to show where did that wisdom come from? It did not come from them. It did not come from schooling. It did not come from conditioning. The wisdom with which they spoke came from God. And it's an interesting, uh, interesting term here. There's three words here. Number one, unlearned. Unlearned. That word, if you look at it in its classical defini- definition is they're illiterate. They're uneducated. It means they had no formal, no formal schooling of any kind. Now, we know Peter and John were not illiterate. But it's used of someone who's illiterate. Someone who brutalizes language. Right? So they're called unlearned. They have no sophistication to them. Notice the second thing. They're called ignorant. Ignorant. Man, that would get our blood going today, wouldn't it? Wait, wait, wait. Who are you calling ignorant? Right? That, that would be the thing. The Greek word there, you ready for this? The Greek word there is idiotis. That sound familiar? Sound familiar? It's the root word from where we get the English word idiot. Idiotis. Right? Now that they saw that they were, they were not only like... Rough and and not formally schooled. But here, they're even add to it. you're, You're like a person with no education whatsoever, right? You're uninstructed, you're uneducated. Notice this dual combination. Of Peter and John. What were Peter and John's vocation? You guys remember? They were fishermen. They were fishermen, right? So, roughneck guys. Blue collar guys, right? So I'm sure they were kind of rough around the edges, Right? But this is the thing that the Word of God records. They notice, well, who are these guys that are speaking with us with such authority, that are speaking with us with such wisdom, how can it be that these uneducated, ignorant men speak that way? And there's an answer for that. Because what does verse 13 say? It says, they perceived they were unlearned, ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Notice, they took knowledge of Him. Wait, 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 wait. These are the guys that ran with Christ. They took knowledge. They've been with Jesus. What does our speech say about us? And people say, that man, that woman, she... She walks with Christ. They're a Christian. They go to that church over there. Does the Holy Ghost boldness in our own life testify to the glory of Jesus Christ? Do we look, walk, and sound like the rest of the world? I don't want to look or sound like the rest of the world. I want people to know that I've been with Jesus. That I've been with Jesus. And look at the Sanhedrin, verse 14. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing. Check this out the uneducated, ignorant men spoke with wisdom and authority. And in response to their boldness, their wisdom, and their authority, the educated, learned men, in response, could say nothing. They couldn't refute them. Peter and John said, this man is standing before you today, 100% healed. Matter of fact, he's going dancing tonight, right? With all these new legs, He's going out there. He's completely healed. And the religious experts could say nothing. See, a lot of times what the enemy puts in our mind about testifying for Jesus Christ... He puts all the fear and certainty and doubt, does he not? He says, if you're going to say this, they're not going to believe you. If you're going to say this, they're going to not like you. If you're going to say this, they're going to make fun of you. You're better off being quiet and not saying anything at all so that you don't create a ruckus. And we buy that lie time and time and time and time again. But if we speak, if we act, if we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we do speak, we will speak with authority. We will speak with the authority of the Holy Spirit. We will have the boldness of the Holy Spirit. And time and time again, we will leave people with their mouths open. Not so that they go, boy, you're so smart. That's not what we're going for. We're not going for, boy, you really know your religion. A matter of fact, I'm at the point of my life to be perfectly honest with you. And people want to argue, like just for argument's sake, religion, religion, religion. You know what? Keep it, man. I got souls I got to save. You want to know about Christ? You want to know about how to come to know the one true living God? Come talk to me any day of the week, anytime. You want to sit down and argue, you know, this versus that? I'm too old, man. My clock is ticking. <laughs> I got to make up for some time here. This is what I love the most about this, this text. After he leaves them speechless, these educated, learned, religious experts. You know what their solution is? Their solution is this. All right, guys. We're telling you, you better not talk anymore about this Jesus in your name. Don't be talking about Jesus no more. Don't go out and take the crippled people and the blind people and start healing them. That's not the kind of behavior we want. And if you do, and I think it was implied You know what we did to your boss. We'll do the same to you. That's their best shot that they got. But this is where you see the boldness of Peter and John come in even greater. Look at verses 18 and 20. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered. Notice that word there. They told them, don't talk about it. And they had an answer already coming back. And said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. You know what? The record spoke for itself. Don't go on. And what did Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, Filled with the boldness of the Spirit, what they do. We cannot stop speaking about the things which we have seen and the things which we have heard. Church, that should be the testimony of every believer in Jesus Christ. Every believer in Jesus Christ's testimony should be: we cannot. Stop speaking about the things which we have heard and the things which we have seen. And I'll add to it, and the things that we have experienced in Jesus Christ. We can't stop. We can't stop. You can tell me to stop, but I'm not going to stop. Amen. That should be the testimony. And what happen- what's happening is instead is we are stopping. What's happening instead? People say, Oh, I don't want to rock the boat. And so, with it, all the boldness goes out the window. Rather than. Try. Listen, do you think, honestly, let's just. You know, Peter and John knew when they were standing before this council, this could end bad. We're probably going to jail tonight and <laughs> probably going to get beaten, and whipped. But notice that it did not deter their boldness. Why? Because the boldness came from the Spirit of God, not from themselves. And when it comes from the Spirit of God, it overcomes all fear. All fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, Paul says, but of power and love and of a sound mind. The church has forgotten that power. It's forgotten that love. It's forgotten that sound mind. Oh, that we would come back to that. We would come back to that Holy Ghost boldness that gives us the ability to say, I rest myself in Christ completely and totally within Jesus Christ. We need to do the same. We need to do the same. Maybe then we'll be able to say like what the writer of Hebrews said, in Hebrews 10, 33-34, Maybe it's then that will subdue kingdoms and wrought righteousness and obtain promises and stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, wax valiant in fight, turn to flight the armies of the aliens. By faith, by faith the writer writes, and these are the unknown. Heroes of the faith that he refers to. So, what was the result? You know, Peter and John get let go. And when they're let go, where do they go? They go back to the church. They go back to the church. And when they go back to the church, what do they do? They have a prayer meeting. They have a prayer meeting. That's what they do. And listen to their prayer meeting. It begins in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4. But look, I'm going to select out a few verses. Verse 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took um, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. And look what he, what he goes on to say in verse twenty-nine. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Watch this verse now. Behold their threatenings. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Check this out. They did not say, God, bind them. God, destroy them. God, don't let them come against us. That's not what they said. They prayed unto the Lord and they cried unto the Lord. You see their threats. You know their threats. Now, Lord, Grant that thy servants may speak thy word with all boldness. That we would speak your word with thy boldness. And he goes on. It goes on there in verse 31. Look what happens. What's the result? And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. That's what they asked for. That's what God gave them. And I'm going to tell you something. If there was ever a prayer meeting I'd want to be, I'd want to be at that prayer meeting when they finished praying, and the word of God says, and the place where they met, was shaken, and that means a literal shaken. God's Spirit so moved that meeting just as He did at Pentecost with a mighty rushing wind. He moved that meeting, that place was shaken, but more important, He filled them with boldness, and what did they do? They went and they spoke the Word of God with all boldness. They went and spoke the Word of God with all boldness. It is a great, remarkable, spectacular, spontaneous, authentic move of God's Spirit. Can that happen today? I bet my right arm it happened today. I'm believing God, and that's going to be the fruit of our conference. Maybe God's desire isn't for the conference that there be 5 600 people there and all the 500 600 people be blessed and we leave with the check. Maybe it's God's will that instead he's directing all of his attention toward us. That we need a move of God among us. That we leave that conference not the same that he began to move in our church body so that each person here would speak the word of God with all boldness. I looked at the calendar. I know it's running late. We're 32 days away. I just started running some numbers. You know, when you're sick with fever and you're delusional and you're just trying to doodle and do some things right. So I started playing with some numbers the other day. I said, it's been 31 Wednesdays since we announced that we were going to have the conference. What's significant about Wednesday? Wednesday is our prayer meeting. So it's been 31 Wednesdays since we announced the conference. On average, we have about 10 people, sometimes 12, 13 people who attend our prayer meeting weekly. I took 10 people just as a round figure. If 10 people prayed on 31 Wednesdays, that amounts to 310 prayers. And by the way, on Wednesday, we don't ask for anything for ourselves. We pray, we've been praying for the conference, we pray for the church, we pray for a genuine move of God. Our average time of prayer on Wednesday night ranges anywhere from 90 minutes to 2 hours. We're usually getting off about 9 o'clock or so. So two hours of prayer. So 310 prayers times 90 minutes equals 2,790 minutes of prayer that we have prayed for the conference, the group of us here. Now that excludes, of course, our own personal prayers when we're alone with the Lord. It excludes the prayers of others who may have been praying for us. Okay. So the first question has been, have you been praying? Have you been praying for the conference? Have you been praying for the Spirit of God to move among us? Even more important, do you believe what you pray for? See, Peter and John said, Lord, take note of their threats, but grant that thy servants may speak thy word with all boldness, fully expecting that God was going to grant it, which God indeed granted. But praying is not telling God what He doesn't know. And praying is not buttering up God so that He gives you what you want. Prayer is worship. So when we come together to pray, we come come together to pray, we come to worship Him. We come to exalt Him. We come to lift up His name. In one month, in one month, we kick off. February 9th at 7 p.m., we kick off. What we have been praying for for over six months, seven months, eight months. And if you haven't been believing God for this, will you do it today? Will you believe God for a mighty, mighty move of God? We need revival. We are a bunch of Jeremiah lamp fears. We're a bunch of nobody from Nowhereville. But if we trust God, He can do an amazing, an amazing work. So are you praying? Are you believing God? Is the prayer, grant that thy servant may speak thy word with all boldness. That's what we're praying for Pray for each of the speakers. Pray for Alex McFarlane. Pray for me. Pray for others that are going to come, those that are going to serve and minister. Hey, we have people coming in from the outside to take care of our children. Child Evangelism Fellowship are going to be giving a program for our children, K-5, through during the conference and all those who are in attendance. we pulled every string trying to do everything we can To make it as spirit-filled, but at the same time, to make it as logistically comfortable as we can. Pray. We need that help. We're down to the wire. Let's close in a word of prayer.